Good morning and welcome to the Dodds Monitoring Podcast. Each week, our team of Dodds policy experts will be bringing you a short 15 to 20 minute audio briefing on a range of subjects and sectors, helping you to understand some of the policy behind the politics. It's been a big week of news for UK climate politics. On Tuesday, Prime Minister Boris Johnson confirmed that the government would be accepting all of the recommendations made by the Independent Climate Change Committee in their sixth carbon budget, which was published back in December last year. And today, to mark Earth Day, Johnson will be addressing the opening session of the US Leaders' Summit on Climate Change, which is being hosted by American President Joe Biden. During the address, Johnson is expected to urge other countries to follow the leadership of countries like the UK and the US and raise their ambitions to tackle climate change. Whilst 40 world leaders will be attending the Climate Change Summit today, our two Dodds policy consultants are joining me this morning to discuss the government's plans on the sixth carbon budget. Michael Thorogood is the Dodds political consultant for energy and climate, and Helen Hill is the Dodds political consultant for transport and infrastructure. So, first up, happy Earth Day to you both. The weather seems nice and bright, so very appropriate for the occasion. Michael, coming to you first. As mentioned, the government made a pretty major announcement on the carbon budget this week. Could you give us an overview of what was actually announced in this and why it's significant? Thanks, Alex. And yes, absolutely. So Downing Street has confirmed that a new target to reduce UK carbon emissions by 78% by 2035, when compared to 1990 levels, will now be enshrined into law, uh, bringing the UK more than three quarters of the way towards achieving net zero by 2050. So prior to this announcement, which, as you rightly said, puts the UK in line with recommendations set out in December by the government's own climate advisers, the Climate Change Committee, the UK had a target of reducing emissions by 80% by 2050. So this target has near enough been brought forward by some 15 years. So legislation was set out in Parliament yesterday and the new target is set to become law by the end of June. And really, the significance of this news should not be understated. Uh, The government has claimed that this is the world's most ambitious climate target. And really, it's hard to argue with that. So as a point of comparison, on Tuesday night, representatives of EU governments and the European Parliament agreed in principle to a so-called European climate law, which foresees a 55% reduction in net greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, before aiming to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. So while the end net zero target is the same, and the proof will of course be in the ability of both the UK and the EU to actually deliver on their ambitions, the UK has set a considerably more ambitious pathway to net zero than just about any other industrialised nation, with the vast majority of emissions reductions targeted to be achieved by 2035. So the sixth carbon budget should ensure that the UK remains consistent with its commitments under the Paris Agreement and limits the volume of greenhouse gases emitted between 2033 and 2037. And for the first time, the carbon budget will also include the UK's share of international aviation and shipping emissions. But I'll let Helen speak more on that one later on. So pretty lofty ambitions. And as you said, um, if these are being heralded as well, leading, how realistic do you think it is that the UK could achieve more than three quarters of its net zero transition within the next 14 years? Well, the consensus among climate advisers is that the government's new target is certainly ambitious, but absolutely essential. So the UK actually overachieved against its first and second carbon budgets and is on track to outperform the third carbon budget, which ends in 2022, which is largely due to significant cuts in greenhouse gas emissions across the economy and industry, 
with the UK bringing down emissions by around 44% between 1990 and 2019. Um, however, it is certainly worth noting that the early stages of the net zero transition, which this revised 78% target is essentially setting out to achieve, were always going to be relatively straightforward by comparison. And I actually believe, and this is the consensus among many climate advisors, that the remaining 22% of emissions reductions that will have to be achieved between 2035 and 2050 will be far more challenging to achieve. So to start with, the Climate Change Committee says that behavioural change on an individual level will be absolutely critical in ensuring sufficient uptake of emerging clean technologies in homes and in our everyday lives and in transforming the ways that we all consume products, the way we travel, the way we live. So while galvanising the huge investment to transform our energy system has proven to be a great challenge, but a relatively successful one, changing our minds and the ways we all actually live our lives could prove to be a far greater hurdle in achieving true net zero, especially where technologies are costly or unproven or involve significant changes to our lifestyles. So perhaps we should touch on one particular example, decarbonising heating in our homes. So the UK housing stock accounts for around one fifth of all UK carbon emissions. And the Climate Change Committee estimates that the cost of decarbonising heat in homes across the entirety of the UK will cost around £250 billion and will require transformation of every component of the energy system needed to deliver heat from the primary energy source such as wind or nuclear power through to the repurposing or upgrading of the energy grid and then the actual delivery of heat in homes through heat pumps or hydrogen boilers. And the truth is that knowledge around many of these emerging technologies such as hydrogen is not especially developed and the entire upgrade to national heating would be worthless without radical improvements to energy efficiency in homes across the country. And yet demand-led programmes such as the government's Green Homes Grant, which was recently folded, and the Renewable Heat Incentive have not really been very successful at all. And so while the government's revised climate pledges are certainly very ambitious, we are still awaiting a clear roadmap to understand how the government actually aims to translate these targets into reality. And to that end, a new heat and building strategy is expected very soon, and a comprehensive net zero strategy has been promised some time before COP26 in November. Thanks, Michael. So it seems like a pretty major overhaul of the way that society and industry then are going to have to approach these issues for just the rest of time to come, really. Um, Helen, coming to you now, as we've heard from Michael, um, he said earlier how a crucial aspect of this announcement was that, that the carbon budget is going to incorporate the UK's share of international aviation and shipping emissions for the first time ever. So how does this impact the sector's plans to decarbonise, would you say? Good morning, Alex. Thank you for having me and happy Earth Day. So the decision to include the UK's share of international aviation and shipping emissions in the carbon budget for the first time is a huge commitment and represents an unparalleled step in taking accountability for emissions and a willingness to lead on climate change, I think. So we're well aware that decarbonisation is a major priority for the whole of the transport sector at the moment. But thus far, we've kind of seen efforts from the government to incentivise and encourage decarbonisation fixated on surface transport and infrastructure. When we think of the government's main policies for decarbonisation in, in transport, we're thinking of like EVs, we're thinking hydrogen buses in terms of technological advances. 
and then encouraging a modal shift to active travel and green public transport use in terms of behaviour. But we haven't heard so much about aviation and I would say even less about maritime and shipping. It might be useful just for context to kind of outline how much the different subsectors emit. So according to the CCC, surface transport emissions accounted for 22% of total greenhouse gas emissions in 2019, with 113 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent. In the same year, aviation accounted for 39.6 million tonnes and shipping accounted for 14.3 million tonnes. So the two combined, aviation and shipping, they aren't even half as much as surface transport, but they're not in considerate value at all. Turning first to aviation, I think it's quite important that the CCC forecasts that there will still be significant positive greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, and that's because there's limited options for decarbonisation in the sector. Furthermore, aside from the time elapsed during the pandemic, emissions from aviation have only been increasing. Basically, the CCC says that offsetting emissions will be essential to getting the sector to net zero, although other options to be used alongside offsetting are demand management, improved fuel efficiency and the development of sustainable fuels. I think the British aviation industry is more on board with the decarbonisation agenda than most people realise. And just last year, members of the UK Sustainable Aviation Coalition united behind a commitment to also get to net zero by 2050. And they were met with quite a lot of scepticism and accused of greenwashing, um, particularly as demand for air travel only seems to grow, outside the pandemic anyway. Um, but the ambition does seem to be genuine and is backed up by a decarbonisation roadmap. Further to that, just this morning, International Airlines Group, which is BA's parent company, has committed to, um, a world first pledge uh, to power 10% of its flights with sustainable fuels by 2030. Um, although that doesn't sound like loads, I do think that the key here is developing the technology and then scaling up. So it's hoped that the 20 years between 2030 and 2050 will be enough for that fuel technology to be sort of rolled out and widespread. Turning to government action, to be honest, a lot of focus for aviation now is concentrated on getting the sector back on its feet after the pandemic. Um, some environmental groups were calling for conditions of government support um, to be advancing their plans to decarbonise. But with the year that the sector has had, I think it's, just, um, it's reasonable to try and let the sector bring some revenue back in before it turns like wholeheartedly to decarbonisation. Uh, and then turning to shipping and maritime transport, emissions are on a downwards trajectory, uh, which is great. And the CCC suggests that the sector's emissions could be reduced to close to zero by 2050 through the use of zero carbon fuels like ammonia. Uh, the CCC predicts that emission levels in the sector will not change significantly, significantly however, until around 2030, but will then decline rapidly. And this is basically because, again, we're waiting on these technological advances, but once we've got them, it will apparently be quite straightforward to roll them out. Uh, consequently, it seems like the government can only really contribute to funding for fuel technology research for now, um, but the sector can sort of be left to its own devices with regards to ambitions to reaching net zero. And Maersk, the largest container ship and supply vessel operator in the world, agrees that net zero shipping is possible and is similarly looking to get to net zero by 2050, which is great. Um, this would require carbon neutral vessels to be commercially viable by around 2030, according to Maersk. And to be fair, zero emission vehicle vessels do already exist. Uh, the problem is, again, scaling them up from the inland or coastal routes to like the massive ocean traversing vessels that carry the 80% of global trade. So to kind of sum up, the decision to include aviation and shipping is a massive step up from the government to lead on climate change. It won't make our net zero aims any easier, but businesses do genuinely seem to be on board and there is a real possibility that these can be achieved. So I think it's something to be really quite proud of, um, but the government do need to ensure that they're supporting businesses every step of the way.
Thanks, Helen. And that's great to hear that the sectors um, are actually really keen to get behind the decarbonisation agenda. And I guess we'll see, as you said, just when there's going to be so much of just getting back on feet as we move out of the pandemic and travel restarts again, especially on the aviation side. Finally, Michael, coming to you. So we've heard about some of the reactions to the announcements and the appetite for decarbonisation from the transport um, area. And what would you say some of the other reactions to um, the announcement have been? And what do you think this means for the UK going into COP26? Well, reaction has been unsurprisingly mixed. Uh, Labour has accused the government of repeatedly setting targets for climate action without providing a clear roadmap, roadmap for delivery. And until the government sets out its net zero strategy, questions over the government's ability to match rhetoric with reality are going to remain. Um, nonetheless, the revised ambition, as Helen said very well, has been widely welcomed and the onus is now really on other nations to follow suit. So in terms of wider implications, this announcement is the clearest sign yet of the UK government really trying to ramp up ambition and lead by example ahead of COP26 in November, something it has been previously widely uh, criticised for not doing enough of. Um, it's worth mentioning that alongside the EU's recent announcement, US President Joe Biden is expected to announce a new emissions reduction target today um, as 40 world leaders take part in a virtual White House summit to accelerate climate talks. And Biden is expected to unveil an updated climate pledge that will see US emissions almost halved by 2030. And so the leaders, climate, um, the leaders summit on climate, which is marking Earth Day today, is really a key milestone on the road to COP26 as leaders aim to intensify global ambition. Um, it's also worth noting that climate negotiators are cautiously optimistic for a meaningful climate deal to emerge come November, uh, not least because China and the US have agreed to put their political differences aside, temporarily at least. And in Shanghai last week, they committed to working together on addressing the climate emergency. Uh, China's president, Xi Jinping, is among the 40 leaders gathered in Washington today, uh, where Boris Johnson will address the opening session of the Leaders' Summit. And while words will have to be matched with quite urgent action, uh, the UK government's announcement will certainly intensify that feeling of urgency and place added pressure on other nations around the world to follow the UK's example. Thanks, Michael. It'll be interesting to see how the summit plays out today and just when we can get a sense of the way the different leaders are interacting and responding to each other's pledges and the announcements from the UK and the US. So thank you both and thank you everyone for listening. If you're not already a Dodds Monitoring client and you think that you or your business could benefit from getting up-to-date, tailored and cutting-edge political intelligence, then you can request a free trial by emailing customer.service at doddsgroup.com or calling us on 0207 593 5500. Thank you.